0: Welcome to a special crossover bonus edition of the Quilt and Tell and Quilting Art podcasts. I'm Tracy Mooney and I'm here with my colleague, Vivica Denegri. We're so excited to have you join us to talk about Quilt Market. Yes, we know it didn't happen this year, but the quilting community is still going strong.
1: What would we have seen if we had been at Quilt Market? Hey, Tracy, it sounds like such a silly topic, doesn't it, (laughs) to be talking about quilt market when it didn't happen? I don't know about you, but I'm sort of missing market.
0: I am completely missing market. However, I should give a little caveat because I actually did go to Houston um, International Quilt Festival in Houston. Um, So I got a little tiny taste of seeing the people and feeling the excitement Of all of the, you know, new products and even just old standbys that we are so
1: used to seeing every year. So I think we should take a second here and talk about actually what market is, because a lot of people who are in the quilting industry, of course, know what it is. But people who aren't in the quilting industry are sort of like, am I missing out on something? What is market?
0: (laughs) So Quilt Market is um, a trade show where new products, uh, fabrics, tools, notions, books are presented to shop owners. So basically it's a buying event for quilt shops.
1: Sort of like a wholesale market. Exactly. Exactly. And before I actually joined this industry, I didn't know what it was. And I always felt like I, I would see things on social media and I'd think like, oh, I'm missing out. That looks like so much fun. But after going to my first market, which had to have been at least 10 years ago now, I think, or probably about 10 years ago, it, it actually dawned on me that, no, I wasn't missing out because I wasn't there, but what I was seeing from all of these wonderful designers was basically a sneak peek of what would be coming in the next nine months to a year. And so that is, is uh, really one of the reasons that I love going to Quilt Market because it does sort of put you in the situation where you're in the know, you know what's coming and you can actually meet with all of those people who make all of those cool products.
0: Exactly. Um, and as a, an editor of a magazine like you would understand. It's a place where our editorial team goes and sees, you know, things, not only fabrics, collections, and things like that that are coming down the line, but uh, spotting trends, um, seeing uh, different patterns repeat that might be coming to stores that are trending. Uh, And it's also a place to get ideas for content for our magazines.
1: And I come away from Quilt Market every year just feeling so energized, so jazzed from what I've seen. And you're right. It is a lot about trend spotting. You know, the Quilt Market happens twice a year. And, of course, we're not seeing Quilt Market for now the third time, I believe, because it's been postponed again because of COVID. But... um I always love the quilt markets that happen in fall because they happen, um, basically they're contiguous to quilt festival. Mm -hmm. So the display area of all of the quilts are actually set up for those who attend market as well. So all of the beautiful quilts are on display, with the exception of the winning quilts, if I remember correctly. Those are never out there. We never know who has won those enormous awards, the big best of show type awards. But I love walking through the aisles. So tell me, you did get to go to Quilt Festival. Mm-hmm. Did you see some beautiful quilts, I wonder? Oh, no, none at all.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it was amazing. Uh, uh, usually they have about 1,600 quilts and on the show floor. This year there were 1,100. So it was a slightly smaller, but it really did not feel smaller at all. Uh, what's wonderful about being able to see the quilts up close and personal is that you are actually within, you know, a foot or so of these amazingly made, beautifully quilted quilts. And let me tell you, they range from the teeniest, tiniest piecing two really grand, bold statements. And there are different small exhibits. Um, There were a few exhibits that really stood out to me this time
1: that were really special. I know. I was watching a few on social media, and I really wanted to get up close. And I have a feeling you're going to tell me about two that I really wanted to see <laughs> from the art really? quilting perspective. Yes. You, think? you think? I think so.
0: All right. Well, um, I think I think my favorite, honestly, was Kathy York's um, exhibit where they're two-sided quilts. And so the super cool thing is that they displayed them so that you could see both sides. And some of them, uh, uh, like I'm thinking of one in particular where it was a big dahlia on one side. And Um, intricate piecing on the other, but she did big stitch quilting uh, by hand in addition to her machine quilting. And it made a giant pattern on the back of the quilt. Um, And what was particularly fun in this exhibit is there were actually 200 students that came through to see the show. And I happened to be there when there was probably a group of, I don't know, they were maybe 11-year-old boys were with their teacher and they were looking at the quilts, and they're trying to find the pattern repeat, and what you know, uh, they're uh, I, they were honestly looking at it. I think from a mathematical perspective, and it mm-hmm. was so cool because they were so engaged. <laughs> it was just fun because you wouldn't think that you know some eleven-year-old boys would even care,
1: but it was so oh, that's neat. fantastic. Yes, that's fantastic. And then. Um. Also, the Sacred Threads exhibit. Did you oh, see that? I did. It was
0: amazing. So the Sacred Threads exhibit was, uh, gosh, I don't even know how many quilts were in the exhibit, but they were all small rectangular quilts of eyes. And so they were displayed on, there was a chain that was hanging from a a frame and the quilts would be stacked. And when the air conditioning turned on, They would move and spin and it was amazing. I think that one got the most comments from other quilters that I saw. They were so impressed with the diversity of eyes and the differences, not only in the way that, that the artist actually created them and made them look, but also just the types of people that were um, shown in the
1: exhibit. And it was so cool. Just so Uh. cool. Well, next year. Next year I've got my fingers crossed. But let's talk for a minute about why we wanted to do this podcast because this is a bonus episode for both of our podcasts. It's going to run on both the Quilting Arts podcast channel as well as on the channel for Quilt and Tell. And you and I were chatting Mm -hmm. when we heard that that quilt market was going to be Um, postponed and not going to be happening this time. And we said, what a shame all of those people who are going to get so much promotion for their new fabrics and new books, et cetera, weren't going to be getting it.
0: Right. And I I particularly felt for, you know, small businesses that, that might not have the exposure or even small products that usually get a big boost during market because everyone's talking about it and posting pictures online and quilters get excited about it at home and they go into their quilt shop and they say, "Hey, are you going to get this product?" and then that store owner knows to purchase it. And none of that has happened for the past 3
1: markets. Well, this time it's not happening, but you know what's happening is we're going to get the word out.
0: Mhm, yes we
1: are. Yes we are.
0: Stay tuned for conversations between four hosts of our podcasts and four makers and shakers whose work would have been featured at Quilt Market. Let's start with our first guest, Luana Rubin.
1: Let me introduce you to Luana Rubin. Luana is the owner of eQuilter.com and a true leader in the quilting industry, I invited Luana to kick off our podcast because of her depth of knowledge. She's known for having her finger on the pulse of what's happening in our industry and accurately spotting trends in their infancy. So Luana, you and I always meet while we're at Quilt Market, and I'm so disappointed that our tradition isn't continuing this year. I know, but this is the next best thing, right? It sure is, isn't it? So um, for our listeners... I'm seeing Luana sitting in her office, and she's seeing me sitting in my little quilt fort that's all set up, um, so I have some good audio behind me, but um, I really appreciate you talking to us because I know that you have a really um, different perspective than a lot of others do. You've been going to a lot of quilt markets, and I know that you do the same kind of thing that I do, which is like when I'm at quilt market and I'm between meetings with manufacturers, et cetera. I basically walk the floor, and the whole reason that I do this is so that I can spot colors and textures of fabrics, nuances in quilt designs and things like that. I'm basically looking for trends. So I'm curious about what you've been seeing in the marketplace and what you expect to be seeing in 2022.
2: Mm -hmm. Well, and also my eye is tuned a little bit because of my membership in the color marketing group. So um, a, lot, a lot of times I'm thinking very forward for trends, and I'm looking for trends that are really on the cutting edge, which I think a lot of my contemporary customers are interested in. Yeah, so color is a really important thing to talk about for trends. And a lot of times it's not just the colors themselves, but it's about groups of colors or combinations of colors, because let's face it, every color has been done, right? Right. not
1: only done, but it's interesting to see how they're combined in different fabrics or how different fabrics
2: are combined in quilts. Exactly. So for a long time, for instance, we've had the the modern movement really pushing mid-tone colors combined with white. But I do see that shifting. And, And really, I would say that it's evolving because you don't want to just look at the same groups of colors forever and ever. And so some of the things that I've noticed are uh, there is more of a willingness to work with pastels and tints, so those really uh, strong, clear midtones that we've been seeing for a long time. I see that there are is more of a willingness to work with just a mixture of ta- pastels, or to bring pastels in in explorations of value in a quilt and also in textile design.
1: So, when you say a midtone, what does that mean?
2: That's a color that is not too dark and not too light. So not a deep color or not a pastel, but a mid-tone, a mid-range. So something that's saturated,
1: saturated, uh-huh. but it's not like a jewel tone. So if you were talking about a purple, would you be talking more about like a plum in that purple? Or would you be talking more like a grape?
2: Yeah, well... It- so, plum and grape is different temperatures of colors. Grape might be a cooler purple. Plum might be a warmer purple. What I'm talking about is the value of the color. So, it's, you know, it's hard to talk about it, right, without looking at it. But mm-hmm. if you think about 30s quilts, like I'm seeing one behind you now, if you, ta- if you think about uh, some of the colors that modern uh, designers have been using over the past several years, it's not a super hot, deep pink. It's not a pastel pink. It's mm-hmm. a mid-tone, like a rose pink.
1: Ah, uh, yeah. That that definitely helps. Sort of like if I was looking at the color wheel, it would be going more toward the middle of the color wheel then.
2: Um, maybe that's one way of putting it, yeah. yeah. But uh, it's really all about value. It's kind mm-hmm. of a, a mid-level value. Not too light, not too dark. Just right. Just like Goldilocks. <laughs>
1: So are there certain colors that you're expecting to see more in 2022? Mm-hmm. Certain ones that you're expecting not to see maybe as well?
2: Right. Um, I think that because of the pandemic, we are all really drawn to colors that are about life, that are about biting into that piece of fruit and having juice drip down your face. So that's how I think of it. So the, the really rich plum and berry colors, which are the warm purples, I see those, they've been going on for a while, but I see those continuing and expanding. Even more people opening up to those colors. Maybe they were afraid to use them before, and now they're more accepted. But a color that I think has been not quite so accepted and is now uh, gaining acceptance and more usage is honey gold and honey yellow. And I think this really goes along with the trend of bee you know, honeybee and sort of environmental uh, conservation topics uh, in design. So as we've seen more and more collections with honeybees and beehives and and honeycombs and so on, people are like, oh, wow, actually, I like that color. I want to bring that in as a pop color in my quilt, for instance. Uh, Turquoise has been popular for a long time, but I think this year we're seeing more of a deep, sort of contemplative teal color. And the blues are not so much, you know, a standard denim blue or a French warm blue, but it's really more that cool ocean blue, those calming spa blue and ocean blue colors that take us to a more peaceful place.
1: You're singing my song right now. These these are absolutely (laughs) colors all through not only the wardrobe that I'd love to build, but also mm-hmm. in the fabrics that I'm working with now. Yeah,
2: great. Well, you know, yellow is a color that people often say, oh, I don't like yellow. I would never wear that color. And yet they're realizing that y- even if you wouldn't wear it, that doesn't mean you shouldn't use it in your quilt project, right? Mm-hmm. And there are so many different shades of
1: yellow. And, Absolutely. and it's, it's a beautiful color. It can be yeah. a bully if you're thinking about it like the yellow in a down the strip of asphalt, where you can't stop mm. looking at it, but it can mm. also just help bring other colors together.
2: Right. And it's not a taxicab yellow like that line down the middle of the road. It's more, like I said, a soft honey color. It's it's a, a little softer even than a sunflower yellow, for instance, mm-hmm. more of a gold. Um, now, you may have heard about millennial over the last few years. And I would say that we have a really deep not dark, but intense, saturated cyclamen pink that is replacing millennial pink, which was a softer pink, and that is really represents uh you know the power of women who are stepping up to claim their voice and to claim power and and to help lift other women up also you know the the leadership type of pink is how I think of that now when you talk about you want to say something about that. I was just
1: going to say, it's, it's interesting how social movements can even be oh. expressed in the colors that we choose.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I think that's the same thing for yellow. You know, we're drawn to that warmth. We see that color when we, when we read about the plight of pollinators and honeybees. What's coming into our consciousness from uh, the activists who are trying to get that message out. But then we have to talk about neutrals because life is not all bright colors, right? So what the neutrals that I'm seeing, and again, some of it is just what I'm seeing in my customer base. You know, we get little nibbles around new color trends and I see them really surfacing with creative and adventurous uh, textile artists. So gray is continuing, but I think it's more like an asphalt and cement gray, like the colors of an urban living type of influence, so a lot of people are, have been moving to cities uh, so they can find the work that they want, the type of specific work they want. Perhaps they're still working remotely, but um, that influence of that urban gray, and, and I would say that's mid-tone to very deep charcoal gray, are very strong right now. And then the other evolution I'm watching is what we used to call low volume, which is white or ivory with, you know, little um, scratches or marks of color. I see that evolving now into more uh, cream and natural, like unbleached muslin. And that's been happening for a while, but I see that expanding and sort of overlapping with what we used to think of as low volume. Does that Mm -hmm. make
1: sense? It does. It does. Um, Low volume prints are really interesting to watch. And I'm wondering, does this, so this is more in the pure color that you're seeing. What about in the prints that you're seeing? Are you seeing trends in prints as well as trends in, you know, Mm. the general colors that we're seeing?
2: Right. Well, you know, digital printing is the biggest single technical influence on trends right now because you can get an endless array of colors and detail and mixing of colors that we couldn't get with screen printing. And, you know, the, the thing that I really am watching that I find so interesting is how the, the pouring paint and marbleized trend that has been so strong in the last year is now evolving into the alcohol ink uh, trend so painters and artists are working more with alcohol ink. It's, it's a huge trend in the uh, art industry. And so we see, for instance, there's an artist at Northcott, uh, Melanie Samra, who has done some beautiful uh, alcohol ink paintings, and, and they've been very popular, and she has uh, new collections coming out. And also Tim Holtz just came out with an alcohol ink blender line of Alchemy that has been extremely popular. So I just see that continuing to expand and more and more artists will be playing with this alcohol ink medium and we'll be seeing more of that sort of cloudy. It's it's just different. It doesn't look exactly like watercolor. You know, it's very distinctive.
1: I've actually played with it in my studio and it is one of those interesting things. It gives a different effect. And that sort of brings to mind the fact that, you know, All of us are connected in so many different ways. And I'm so glad that you could share something about the colors and the textures that we're going to be seeing in fabric. And I just know before we wrap this little section up, Luana, that um, all of our businesses have been so affected by the pandemic. Not only do we not have market this year, we didn't have market last year. And it's been a real challenge to keep things in stock. And I'm certainly hoping that eQuilter is going to be finding some wonderful fabrics for us, even despite some of the challenges that are out there. Hmm.
2: Well, I think that I have a little bit of an advantage that I have a team of people who are just always working on shuffling the cards. You know, and one company says, oh, we've had to cancel or we have to delay. Then we look elsewhere and we make phone calls to see, okay, who has something else they can ship right now? Uh, There's been what we're referring to as a bubble of product. So the vendors who couldn't ship for a while, all of a sudden they are shipping everything. And a lot of quilt shops have been, frankly, overwhelmed with that sort of tsunami of product coming in all at once. So uh, many retailers are struggling with that. And I I think that's, you know, for quilt shops and for us, too, it's really important to keep track of what's coming in and make sure that it's scheduled in a way that you can handle it. Because if you just have boxes piled up at the door, that's not going to do anybody any good. And, but, you know, the supply chain issue for sure is affecting our industry. And I just encourage everyone to have patience with your local quilt shop and understand that uh, it's a stressful time for them too. But but our industry is very strong. I mean, it's amazing how uh, the business and the quilters have been coming back to the well for fabric and supplies and magazine inspiration throughout this whole thing. And so... Uh, I'm very optimistic. I'm very bullish about where the industry is now and where it's going, but we've got some speed bumps and we're going to get through it.
1: Well, I certainly appreciate your perspective, Luana, because I do know that it's quite unique because you have such a an overview, not only of color trends and fabric trends, but also of the actual business side of fabric and supplying fabric for people who are fabroholics, just like All of us in this industry. So thank you so much for your perspective. And I really appreciate you joining us today. My pleasure. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you. You too. Tracy, that was such a fun conversation to have with Luana. And you know what's so funny? I was searching through my photos on my phone looking for something earlier today. And I actually found a photo of Luana and me together at my first quilt market. So I'm going to put that in our show notes because Luana and I have been professional friends and true friends for a while. And I have to say, she always has so much interesting information for us. So I was so pleased that she could be on the program with me. I loved
0: listening to that. And what I was having fun with is you know, imagining the colors she was describing. And I I honestly could picture them. So that was wonderful. Next up, here's Lori Baker from Quilt and Tell podcast interviewing John Larson. John is the VP of sales and marketing for Clover, and he is introducing a brand new product, the Design Pro applique mat.
3: Hi, everyone. This is Lori Baker with Quilt and Tail Podcast. I'm here with John Larson, the VP of Sales and Marketing for Clover. And we are talking about new products. When we go to quilt market and quilt festival, that's one of the fun things that we get to see is new things. And John, we're going to talk a little bit about the Clover Design Pro applique mat. And listeners... This is so new that I have not seen it. I had to ask John to send me a picture. And so I'm just going to let you go, John. You want to tell me a little bit more about it? It looks really interesting.
4: I I sure will, Lori. And and thank you for the nice introduction. So we were actually going to introduce this uh, new product at Quilt Market so that's why you didn't get a lot of information on it or wouldn't have <laughs> known anything about it. And we don't even have it up on our website yet. We're trying to um, – uh, we're allowing our distributors to have time to, to enter the product. And um, we actually uh, – only have about thirty six samples in from Japan, and we won't be shipping the product until about uh, mid november so it's about as new as new can get Lori. so um, a little bit about the product it's it's about um uh, about eleven and a half inches uh, by sixteen and a half inches it's It's got a non slip surface on it which will uh hold your applique pieces in place and it comes with a a a Teflon pressing sheet to protect your iron from getting any fusible on it, and we we think that because of the size, it's just the right size. Because there are smaller ones, there are larger ones out there. Not everybody has a space to accommodate the larger ones, and we're also very uh, pleased and uh, that it has the the uh, Teflon pressing sheet. Not all appliques that you uh, can buy uh, from your local retailer or online have that Teflon pressing sheet, and it's just such an important part to be able to, to fuse your, your your pieces of fabric together. And um, so uh, some of our competitors also just have a, a throwaway plastic bag with it, and we kind of like the fact that, that – um, the, the box that we package in it can be reused to to store the uh, Teflon press, pressing sheet and the applique uh, mat. So we're, we're pretty impressed with it, and uh, we're, we're hoping that uh, our customers will be too.
3: Okay, what I saw when I looked at what you sent me, John, it looks like I can put my applique pattern underneath the applique mat, and then I can put multi-layers of of pieces on top of it so if I have a flower I can put the stem and leaves down and then the petals of the flower and then the center of the flower and I can have all of that fused together into one piece to then move to my quilt block correct?
4: You are 100% correct. Oh I
3: see that just sounds really slick and I like the size that 11 and a half by 16 or so that gives me plenty of room for a big block. I could do as big as a 12- or 15-inch block and have, you know, a good amount of applique in it. So this is a great size.
4: Yeah, no, it, it really is a good size. And it's funny, we were actually... uh <laughs> Uh, we had some patterns of of watermelon, and they weren't actual the actual size of a watermelon, but it was, they were pretty large patterns, and we we had plenty of room. So it's uh again, it's 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 a good product, and we know at the end of the day, you're going to be very pleased with how how the product performs for you. And I, I can't stress enough uh, uh, about the Teflon pressing sheet that's also included. Right, it's in of the highest quality. Yeah, yeah and you're you're able to if you get uh you know a little fabric uh, lint sc- uh, pieces on it uh you're able to wash it off with warm soapy water as well too so so which is also a nice thing to know because they're gonna get full of uh, uh fabric uh, in any type of applique matting. it is safe to wash off with uh, uh, mild detergent and water
3: that sounds great um. And tell me when our listeners can be looking for this product in their local quilt quilt shop.
4: Well, great question. So, we're uh, Clover does not sell direct to um, uh, independent retailers. We rely on our distributors to do that. So, we're going to be shipping out uh, the product. Uh, if everything goes well at the, the ports and we know there's a lot of supply chain issues right now. So right. if you're in the, if you're in the industry or even a consumer, you know that when you're going to, uh, any type of store, you're going to see a lot of empty peg hooks. And that's because of the the supply issues that are going on right now. And, uh, our ports now have, uh, over a hundred ships waiting to get on, uh, uh unload in, uh, uh LA in Long Beach and that, that's absolutely unheard of. So we we it's on a ship, it's 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 on its way over here and it's probably like the 40th ship in line. So if we <laughs> ship yeah, yep. Yeah. If we sh- ship to our distributors on time, which I hope we will, in the middle of November, um they can pretty much turn around and start shipping probably the 3rd week of November uh to the independent store. So I I would look for the in the first week of December uh, for, from your local independent stores.
3: Okay, that's great information. So if I wanted to put that on my Christmas wish list, that'd be a good thing to do, wouldn't it?
4: Laura, you're so good. Yes, it <laughs> would be a great thing to do. That'd be a, a great gift to yourself and a great gift to someone else.
3: Well, John, thank you so much for joining me today and for all this good information. Uh, we'll be watching for that. Design Pro Appliqué Mat.
4: Great. Well, my pleasure, and thank you for having me, Lori.
1: You bet. I love finding new tools at Quilt Market, and there's always something at the Clover booth. I don't know if you've been there um, to their booth, but they always have so many great people just demonstrating and showing all of the new things that they've got, and I can actually see Lori making another one of her gorgeous quilts and using that product. I can too. Um, It's exciting to hear,
0: you know, and it's funny because we can't see. This is such a, you know, non-visual platform. However, it's really fun to imagine what that is. And I think they did a wonderful job of explaining exactly what it does.
1: Exactly. Lift all your pieces. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Next up, we have Ginger designer Deborah Fisher, whose premier fabric collection features a unique binding fabric that you won't want to miss.
5: I have the pleasure of speaking with Deborah Fisher. She is an artist, an author, a quilter, and now a fabric designer. Deborah, welcome. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you so much for joining me. You really have a, a, a just I I was contemplating, like, how do I introduce you? Because you do so many awesome things. And it seems like the new fabric line that you have coming out, it really reflects all of the things that you do. So first and foremost, tell us a little bit um, about being a first-time fabric designer.
6: Well, it's very exciting because I do a lot of sewing and a lot of pattern design. So to actually be able to sew and design patterns with my own fabric is, is has been very exciting to do it that way. And I, I love that, uh, especially this first collection has images of uh, the kinds of things I do in my ceramics. And so it all kind of connects to each other.
5: Yes. And this line, it's with uh, Wyndham Fabrics, correct? Yes. Okay. And what is the name? Because um, you've got the, it's so good, right? And that's the name of the. How did you come to that? That's it's awesome. It's so simple. I love it.
6: <laughs> well, it is a sewing themed collection. Um, and so good is just a phrase that I have used before in uh, all, you know, my other work and the things that I sell on my website, which is Fish Museum and Circus. Um, so it just seemed, it just seemed
5: fitting. It just seemed the right thing to do. Yeah, and you make these amazing pin cushions, right? And so I definitely think like those are reflected within some of these designs. Talk a little bit about the different uh, designs within each of the fabrics.
6: So the main fabric is uh, images of uh, pin cushions, people pin cushions, and there's also some bird pincushions in there. Related to the kinds of ceramics that I've done, I also have made some ceramic pincushions that are that come from the fabric. So from ceramics to fabric, from fabric then to ceramics, those pink cushions will actually be auctioned off um, in February on Instagram. So look for those there. Oh, that's great. Oh, they're so cute too. And the other um, uh, patterns, there's, um, I have to say, I think my favorite is probably the scissor print. It's really graphic and bold. There's, um, pins and needles there is thread there is that ever-present strawberry because that's just always has to be in a sewing collection I think yep um and then something that I am very very excited about is the boundless fussy cut binding print which is a stripe but it is designed so that if you cut it on the straight lines that are printed on the fabric, uh, you can get, and this is all. This is length of fabric. You would cut it length of fabric if you want the fussy cut design, even though normally you would cut a binding on, on the width of fabric, this is length of fabric. And all you have to do is fold it how you would normally fold a binding. And you can get a fussy cut line of dots, on your binding or a fussy cut line of scallops on your binding. Very simply, without having to do the crazy math that, um, that needs to be done if you actually want to do that with a general kind of print. So um, there are three different colorways of that. And that is, I'm just so excited
5: by that. Oh, yeah. And I mean, I honestly, I don't think I've ever seen that before. Has that been done before, like just specifically for the binding? Not that I have ever seen. I
6: have been doing fussy cut bindings just in general for a while. I think they're just a really fun touch, but there's a lot of um, mental gymnastics to go through to be able to figure out exactly where you have to cut, depending on where the repeats are and how how you want to actually have it fall on the binding. So this is super simple.
5: Oh, my goodness. So thank you so much for doing all that math for us and figuring that all out. Because I do. I think that is such a cool way to make your quilt so unique and different. Um, Have that type of uh, fabric on the binding. So thank you. That's a brilliant idea. I love that. Um, So we're all kind of sad that, uh, you know, Market um, didn't end up happening this year. What types of things? Because you were going to be there to debut it, correct? Um, I wasn't
6: really sure if I was planning to be there in person. You know, everything is so just up in the air lately. Um, just not knowing. Um, but I have been to quilt market several times before, and this would have been nice to be able to, um, be there and with my first fabric fabric collection. Um, but you know, everything, everything changes and we have been adapting here for a long time already. So I know Wyndham is planning, um, some, some fun things. Um, there is a blog hop that is going to be on uh, in February that has been arranged by Jennifer Strauser of Dizzy Quilter, um, and that's going to be a lot of fun. And as I mentioned, the the auction of the pin cushions. Um, so I think it's still going to be a
5: great launch. Yeah, it's amazing how everybody just kind of gathers around, and and even though if you can't go to the event or you can't be there, we, we're figuring out ways in order to get the info out and still make this such an exciting thing for you. So uh, was your experience good as far as like, do you think, do you have plans to do more fabric designs? I hope so. I hope so.
6: It's, it's just been a, a great uh, way of expanding the kind of uh, materials and designs. I really think of myself as a maker and not necessarily uh, in a specific medium. And I like the way they all kind of connect.
5: Yeah, no, I think you are like the definition of a maker because it was, it was, was, it was a head scratcher. Like, what do I call her? Cause she does everything. So I think you are really the epitome of a maker. Um, so what's the best way for people to find out information about your fabric line?
6: Um, uh, my website is fishmuseumandcircus.com. Um, I try to post a lot on Instagram, which is at fishmuseum. Um, if you sign up for my email newsletter on the website, I do tend to uh, let my email news sub- newsletter subscribers know first about everything that's happening, um, pre-orders of fabric and listing times for pincushion, So that's uh, really the great way of, of being right on top of everything.
5: Yes. And you have got the um, uh, just all that fabric. You can see it um, on your site and it is beautiful. It is really great. I'm so excited for you and I can't wait to see what you do next. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining me. So everybody, please go check out her fabric line because you're going to love it.
0: Oh, Vivica, Deborah Fisher's designs are so much fun. Everything she does is absolutely gorgeous. I met her for the first time at market several years ago, and
1: I have been a fan ever since. Me too. She is just so amazing. She's had several um, different quilt patterns in our magazines before. And I can tell you, personally, I have never been able to get near her booth at Quilcon. this woman has the most amazing ceramic products mm. and handmade, gorgeous um, little doodads that she has made um, and sells. They're just they're just fabulous. So I'm looking forward to seeing the fabric from Wyndham, and I'm really looking forward to using that binding fabric. Me too. We have one more interview, and that is with Susan Brubaker Knapp, interviewing our dear friend, Cindy Grisdella, who's the author of a new book from c and Publishing about improvisation.
7: Hi, I'm Susan Brubaker Knapp, co-host of the Quilting Arts Podcast. My guest today is Cindy Grisdella author of the new book, Adventures in Improv Quilts, Master Color, Design, and Construction. Cindy is a fiber artist and a teacher, and her new book follows in the steps of her first book called Artful Improv that came out in 2016. Welcome, Cindy. Thank you, Susan. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, I wanted to start with the basics and have you define improv quilts. Oh, well, Improv means different
8: things to different people, but to me, it means um, designing with no patterns, no templates, and no rules, except for the self-directed rules or guidelines that I set for myself in order to just give some structure to my project.
7: Well, the no rule part sounds really awesome to me, (laughs) because I like that, but... Maybe you can talk a little bit about some of the creative challenges that quilters have when they want to make an improv quilt, because I've only made a couple. And one of the biggest problems for me was that I couldn't figure out how to define a focal point or add structure so that it didn't just all look the same. And is that a common issue? And um, do you have tips for dealing with this?
8: It is a common issue. um, And I think that it is, uh, you know, sometimes it happens to me even. Uh, because, you know, you don't have that pattern to follow. And so you as the artist need to, need to decide. And I don't make a lot of decisions before I start. Normally, I'm just deciding what colors am I going to use? Um, and what, um, you know, what sort of, um, style I want? Am I going to do curves or blocks or, or, or whatever? And then I'm a very just intuitive, um, designer. So I just start making um, the elements. And um, oftentimes, the focal point will sort of come into view, um, depending on the color choices that I make. But not all of my quilts have a focal point, And I hmm. don't think they all have to, you know, sometimes it's just um, the colors, lines and shapes interacting with one another and drawing the eye around the composition. And there doesn't necessarily have to be something, you know, right there to, to, to grab your eye.
7: So you're playing with the patterns or the colors or the movement. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly.
8: And so sometimes what, there's a shape that mm-hmm. draws me. And so I will, you know, I'll emphasize that with either making it a little bigger or make using uh, the, the more brighter, more saturated colors for that shape. If it's something that I like particularly.
7: Do you think that there are advantages to somebody like me who makes very representational work to making an improv quilt? Is it to take a little bit of a break and do something different? Does it work a different part of your brain? Does it help you, um, you know, build your skills in an area that benefits your other quilts? What What are your thoughts on that?
8: Well, I'm probably a little bit biased, but <laughs> I do think I do think that it's a good idea to try something different every once in a while. Um, and it does give your your you know, your brain a little bit of a chance to reset, perhaps, if you especially if you recognize that not every quilt you make is going to be a masterpiece. Sometimes it's just fun to cut and sew and cut some more and, um, and just let your let your creative brain loose without, you know, without restrictions. And it may not be, you may not come up with something that you're going to enter into the next quilt show. But you might learn something Um, about yourself or your artistic practice that
7: you can incorporate into your more representational work. So your book has a a section that I found really helpful that has techniques and guided exercises to help people learn. So tell me a little bit about those. I'm really
8: excited about that part of the new book. It wasn't in the first book. um, And I found over years of teaching since um, Artful Improv was released that um, it's helpful, I don't think, you know, I, I don't work with patterns, so it's not, the guided exercises are not patterns per se, but I take a spe- you know, three or four specific um, techniques and kinds of, of compositional ideas, and I walk the reader through the making of that particular quilt. One of them is um, just uh, sort of multiple cut uh, curves in block format. Another one is my, what I call my improv puzzle um, a quilt series, which uh, builds on sort of controlled log cabin designs. And then the, the third one is on freehand, cutting freehand curves um, and, and designing on the design wall before anything is sewn.
7: Interesting. Um, I was also intrigued with this section, Anatomy of Improv, Three Ways to Create Improvisationally.
8: Yes, I think that, um, you know, there are lots of improv artists out there, or improv teachers, um, and some of them, you know, everyone does kind of their own thing. My, um, there, these three ways that I create improvisationally are, um, the, the, the idea of making a quilt with just one block. That, it's the multiple, it's multiple cut curve block that you, um you, you arrange it in different colors and different orientations. It's very simple um but fun. You could make uh you could make lots of quilts that way and never make uh two the same. Um and then uh, another you know sort of block-based uh uh technique is the improv puzzle, doing these sort of controlled um uh controlled log cabins, but adding a little bit of whimsy to them. And then um, the third one is, uh, you know, using your rotary cutter as a as a design tool, um, as a cutting implement, uh, drawing implement, and then cutting those curves completely freehand and seeing where they go. That one's a little more challenging, but can be a lot of fun.
7: It sounds like, it sounds like, and it would be an adventure for me to try something that different. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So what is new and different about this book? How does it pair together with your previous book?
8: Oh, that's a good question. Um, I thought of Artful Improv, my first book, as a book that would be of interest to quilters who were just getting started and putting their toe into the, the improv pond. Um, so uh, the, um, the second book, is kind of uh, an extension of that. It goes into some, um, some more detail about different ways to create improvisationally, like I just mentioned. Um, and it, uh, and it gives, uh, readers who may have already tried a little bit of improv, but want to move forward with it with a little bit of direction, um, gives those readers more in-depth, um, uh, skills. But it will also be perfectly fine for people who have not seen my first book and want to just try um, improv with perhaps maybe the the, the multiple cut curves, the one block, and and then move forward from there. It also has concepts about color and design and some ideas about free motion quilting at the end.
7: Oh, I see. Well, you teach extensively. What do you love the best about, um, teaching improv quilting and what, you know, what brings you the most joy the, about when you're, what that your students learn?
8: I love the idea of teaching improv partly, mostly because every student who comes into one of my classes is coming with their own, um, you know, sort of quilting history and quilting likes and dislikes and, each person that comes into one of my classes is going to come out with a quilt that looks different from the other students in the class and more than likely different from mine. Because my whole goal in teaching improv is to help each student explore their own creativity and have Mm -hmm. that come out in, you know, however way it, you know, it, 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 it manifests itself. And that's just really exciting to me because you see all these, all these wonderful things happening that you couldn't you couldn't plan, you know, if everyone was doing the same pattern.
7: Do you feel like people's personalities come out through their improv quilts?
8: And oh, how? Ab- absolutely. Mm-hmm. Some people are really, you know, some people are really um, free and are able to, you know, to to really they go sometimes beyond me with um, with with what they're doing. And some people are um, a, a little bit more hesitant about um, sort of allowing asymmetry to creep into their work, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of my improv design is asymmetrical and I you know so I encourage that but but it's okay if you if you like your work to be you know to be a little bit calmer, a little more controlled, we can do that too. And uh, it's just really exciting when someone comes in and says, "Oh I'm not sure I can do this and then at the end they
7: say, "Wow, that was fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you think that there are some personality types that just this is not their cup of tea, like they're so uptight or so con- tightly controlled, maybe that it's harder for them?
8: It might be. But I think that I think that the, the biggest thing is the, the will to try. Mm. I had a student in a class oh a number of years ago, and she came up to me in the beginning of class. And she said, I'm a perfectionist. And I thought, oh, boy, (laughs) oh, no, (laughs) that's going to be a danger, danger, danger. (laughs) But the thing that was so cool about it was that she wanted to change. She wanted to try and she was able to do an improv piece. And she was so thrilled with herself at the end. And that's just that just makes it all worthwhile for me.
7: Yeah. So liberating when you, you can take a class or read a book and study and break out of what you've been doing for a long time and experiment with something new. And maybe it's just an experiment, or maybe it's something that you're going to change how you make quilts going forward.
8: Maybe. Uh, My goal, I tell my students, my goal is to uh, maybe give you just a little, a couple of nuggets that you might be able to, you know, you might not become an improv artist, but maybe you'd be able to take some idea about color or line or design and add it to your own creative practice and make, make a change.
7: Well, your new book, The Adventures in Improv Quilts, looks really terrific. I've enjoyed looking at it, and I'm going to read it more closely after this. But thank you so much for joining us and telling us a little bit about it. I really enjoyed it.
8: Well, thank you so much, Susan. Thank you for the opportunity. I really do appreciate it.
1: Cindy's designs are so amazing,
0: aren't they? I just love them. And that was really fascinating to hear her talk to
1: Susan. I can't wait to see this book. I don't know about you. I have her first one. I actually picked up her second one. And I can tell you I've learned so much um, just from watching her work and having her on Quilting Arts TV too. Cindy's a fabulous artist who has so much to share. And I'm really glad we had the opportunity to sort of promote her book a little bit and to promote the work of all of these other artists and industry people.
0: I agree, um, especially people who are having their first debut. It kind of breaks my heart a little bit that they don't get to wear that badge that says <laughs> that their yes. first time, you know. Um, but hopefully we gave them a little bit of a platform here so that they could get the word out about their new,
1: new things. And I'd really like to encourage everyone to lift up people that you know In this industry, it has been a really tough year and a half for all of us. And if you know of someone who has a new product or a a new offering that they're doing in the quilting industry, do what you can to make sure that the word gets out. I couldn't agree more. Thank you so much for listening to this bonus podcast episode. If you like what you hear, please rate us and leave a review at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Your reviews help other people find us. This episode was produced by Tracy Mooney and by me, Vivica Denegri. Our co-producer and audio engineer is Desik Lay. The Quilt and Tell and Quilting Arts podcasts are part of Quilting Daily and Golden Peak Media. And our executive podcast producer is Jared Mayer. To view our show notes with images, links, descriptions, and more, visit QuiltingDaily.com.